Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another season of Anticulture. I'm your host, Josiah Sinanen, and if you're new to the show, I want to welcome you on this journey with me to discover and uncover the misinterpretations, assumptions, and laziness that we've applied to the meaning of culture in the Western world. If you're a regular, welcome back. This season is so exciting for me as we'll be exploring the stories of people who all fit into what we would consider a box. As we talk to them about their experiences, however, we'll learn that it's their stories which are actually what creates the culture that surrounds them, not the boxes we may place them in. We'll be talking to people in the public eye, business owners, immigrant and mixed race families in both France and Canada, and even more wide-reaching subcultures such as the Christian church and people involved with multi-level marketing, all this season. I often premise my episodes by saying, I am your culturally ambiguous and culturally mixed host. And it's true. If you haven't seen any photos of me, it can be difficult to tell just exactly what my background is. And this has given me the upper hand when I'm talking race and culture with people. I found throughout my life, since people can't tell where I'm from, I often get the unfiltered truth when it comes to these topics that are usually taboo. So it's my goal on this podcast to remain empathetic, unbiased, and curious. I invite you to take on this mindset as well as we dive into some touchier subjects this season. A little bit of my background is that I grew up here in Alberta, Canada. And like most places in North America, a lot of people here are culturally ambiguous just like me and come from a variety of backgrounds and experiences. For myself, it was always a challenge in some ways because although Alberta is technically my best identifier, a lot of people would challenge that I'm not very Albertan. If you looked closer, however, you would see that I have family that are ranchers and have been for generations. We have a yearly camping tradition in Kananaskis country, which is out in the Rockies, and I did all of my schooling here. So by most standards, that does make me pretty Albertan. That is, except for my skin color, and that's the other side of it. The other half of me comes from a second generation Canadian, but someone who knows what the immigrant experience is like, having done all of their schooling in Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean, and that's my dad. So growing up here, I asked myself often, where do I fit in? I quickly came to notice something interesting about my upbringing, that a lot of people in Alberta used Alberta as a massive identifier. And I started thinking about this when I saw one of my cousin's Facebook posts one day. It said, Berta for life, fit in or F off. This got me thinking, hold on a second. I'm just as much from Alberta as this relative of mine. Why is it such a big part of his identity and why don't I feel the same? Don't get me wrong, I love Alberta, I love where I come from, but in no way do I think contributing to society here means that you have to conform to a certain made-up standard of behavior, otherwise you don't fit in. In fact, for any place in North America, how can someone accurately define themselves by just the state or province that they live in? Sure, it's part of the story, but what makes up someone's true identity goes much deeper. If you're interested in hearing more about the diversity in my home province, I'd encourage you to check out season one of the show, the first five episodes online. I went on a very interesting journey that prompted my theory that every single person creates a culture of their own. The people you walk by on the street, the ones you're most likely to categorize, they're likely massively different than you'd assume. In season two, I journeyed past Alberta, but I remain focused on the identities of people who are often misunderstood, especially culturally. From the controversial Rachel Dolezal, who still insists that she is a black woman, despite being born white, to more intriguing tales of subcultures such as Mary Zilba, one of the stars of The Real Housewives of Vancouver, who was defined by her time on the show and her reputation 
rather than aspects of herself that actually make her tick. I also interviewed one of the youngest recipients of the Governor General's Award, who is now the CEO of Alberta's Center for Newcomers, helping refugees and immigrants into our society. These are the stories I've been able to share and the assumptions I've been able to challenge thus far. And my heart behind it is ultimately to change the culture of how we talk about culture. So this season, I'm doing things a little bit differently. Rather than highlight individual by individual, I'm choosing to shape our discussions around a series of mini interviews, highlighting the diversity within a subculture and how someone's involvement in something does not automatically categorize them. I'm excited to share about the misconceptions and sad truths of the stories I've found for you this time around. Before we jump into our first episode of this exciting season, all focused on the church in Western society, another change I'm excited to announce is that Anti-Culture is now a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. I'm very honored to be a part of this roster of great Alberta-made podcasts, and I want to highlight another show on the network. It's called It's a Conspiracy. And for those of you who don't know, another fact about me is I'm a huge conspiracy theory buff. So make sure you check out these guys as they lay out the beliefs behind selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more. You can find it in many more Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I also want to mention ATBX, a great program here in Alberta. Are you building a business here in Alberta but feel like you've hit a crossroads? Check out ATBX, a program that supports Albertan entrepreneurs. It's for people ready to disrupt and define their industries. You can learn more at atb.com ATBX. So let's get into this week's episode. I'm so honored to have three guests on this show each highlighting different stories of their experience in the Western Christian Church here in Alberta. I decided to keep this episode closer to home again, as I know there's a bit of a reputation here in Alberta for being the Bible Belt of Canada. So what does that even mean, and is it really part of our identity? I'm talking to three individuals today about their experience within the church and how it shaped who they are. One of my guests, Maddie McBlain, is an intern at a Calgary Protestant church called Kensington Commons. And she shares the story of how church is one of her primary identifiers, superseding a lot of other aspects of her identity. We talk about how that came to be, what obligations she feels she has to the church, and where she believes the church is being misrepresented. I'm also talking with a pastor at one of Calgary's quote-unquote mega-churches, Experience Church, about how they view themselves in the landscape of Alberta and how they feel they give back. And lastly, I chat with a friend of mine, who decidedly left the church as an institution after feeling it failed him following a deployment in Afghanistan and time in some of Alberta's more rough subcultures, including road construction. I don't know what your history or perception is with the church, if you're tuning in now. Maybe you're a churchgoer yourself and you're curious about how these people will represent you. Maybe you have a bad taste in your mouth when you hear the word church and we'll be waiting patiently to hear the story of the guest who left the church. Or maybe you have no context at all and want to learn about how church can create part of an individual's culture. Wherever you come from, I'm excited for you to meet these people. All of them have unique experiences, and I think everyone will resonate with different parts differently. So I encourage you to lean in, learn, and empathize with these few facets of how church creates identity and culture here in Alberta. First, I want to share my interview with Kyle Payne, a pastor at Experience Church, which according to its website, believes in the Bible being God's word, the resurrection of Christ, and having baptism of the Holy Spirit 
as a supplement to salvation. It's a massive church with three campuses, they call them, throughout the city of Calgary. If you've ever heard of Hillsong or Elevation Church, think along those lines. Scores of millennial attendees, a dynamic worship band with lights and cameras. They create this atmosphere to make church a non-judgmental and easy-to-be-in space, quite contrasted to the image of confession booths and a quiet sanctuary you might be familiar with from the movies. I happen to be a member of this church, but for the moment, I'm taking a step back to listen, learn, and be unbiased. My first guest is, as I mentioned, the outreach and development pastor at this church named Kyle Payne. I had a great chat with Kyle all about how he views himself in the church and what he believes it represents. So Kyle Payne, outreach pastor, is that your title is? Yes, that's correct. Outreach and development. Outreach and development pastor at Experience Church. So tell us about yourself, how you got involved at a church like EC, and more about your role. What do you actually do there? Sure. Yeah, great. So I'm not actually from Calgary. It is home now. Been here a couple of years, but grew up in a few different provinces as well as even a couple of different states. Uh, so I've seen the church in a few different forms along the way, but my degree is actually not anything to do with that. It's in business with a focus in international development, essentially, right, and specifically economic development. So where I'm at now was not at all the intent for a number of years. This wasn't right. the plan. But got connected to Experience Church uh, through actually a peer at university, was invited by her. And so it became my community while I was at university here in Calgary. But the story even in terms of uh, stepping into a role vocationally there is a little unique as well, just because it wasn't the plan. Because even going through university and studying uh, the world, especially majority world development, started to I guess, put together some goals and just my worldview started to inspire me to see a different potential even for for Calgary, for my city, but also on a global perspective, um, seeing the potential for alleviating different forms of poverty in different contexts. And so I had never viewed that uh, in a church perspective before. It had always been through uh, industry. And so I had a job lined up uh, kind of in that regard through economic development. Um, my target was for the Middle East, but I was also intrigued by Northern Africa. I uh, was planning to go that route okay. until had a conversation with our lead pastor, who is now my boss, who started as I uh, unpacked kind of what I was hoping to do just through my life and my understanding yeah. and mobilizing people to be agents of change in their communities. He was really the first one that started to show me that that could be understood even in the context of the church platform. And so through those conversations, ended up stepping into this role now, which is, as you said, outreach and development pastor, which largely is really mobilizing people to be agents of change in our Calgary context here, and also helping the church partner with uh, the city itself, the government, as well as other great organizations in our city to yeah, to go head to head with different types of poverty and try and uh, bring people from where they are at into uh, right. better life situations. That's amazing. So you're kind of like the person who's bridging the gap between the church as an entity and how they're making a mark in the real world. And in that regard, did you feel like was a church was church always a big part of your life growing up? And did you want to kind of make that a part of your identity moving forward? Or was this something that was completely out of left field? And then you kind of got more involved with church as your position developed? Or what's your status with the church and how it alludes to your identity and who you are? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I did. I definitely did grow up in the church context. And uh, yeah, in every city we were in, even as a family, and then in my adult life was was in church. 
um, didn't always love it. But just the different forms that I saw weren't mm-hmm. weren't the form that. When it comes to church, I had always uh, connected with church really on one level, where it was it was a community. So it was a place to have friendship and relationship and be on the same page with people. But I'd never really encountered the church being active in terms of bringing community change. I'd never seen it um, moving in okay, that yeah. that regard. And so that's where the disconnect had been for me in terms of what I was hoping to do and, and see happen through my own life, as well as through mobilizing other people to move forward with. Right. Developing communities and and even individuals and but cities developing the disconnect between that and my understanding of church and of faith communities and my context here at Experience Church even that already started to shift seeing a community who was living actively trying to bring change and actually loving their city in a unique way and so then uh, yeah it was through a few of those conversations that some of those dots started to connect where actually that is what the church is meant to be yeah, is a, is a cool. community who is actively bringing change that is not just a community in and of, in and of itself but is going beyond itself mm-hmm. to move other people forward as well. Do you find that when you're participating in whatever it is, like an, an outreach events or something that has to do with locally giving back as a representative of the church, is it harder? Does that create a barrier for people sometimes when you're dealing mm. with people in that field that maybe, you know, have worked for nonprofits or maybe went to school for the same thing? Is there a negative connotation when you say that you're representing a church or how do you think you're perceived in that area? Yes, absolutely. That's often been the start of relationships, especially with how we work with the city itself. We're working with a lot of city social workers and um, other nonprofits who aren't faith-based or aren't the same faith as us. And that's often the initial response is one of negativity because of valid experiences they've had in the past of failed attempts to work with churches. What would that look like? Like what would be a failed attempt? Yeah, a a lot of the ones that they've let me in on uh, or told me about have been more so just churches unwilling where doors have been closed to working together, even when they're working in the same neighborhood and have spaces that are available, that kind of thing. Or working together for a while and the church having a a singular agenda that is specifically conversion to their faith, where where they've stepped past boundaries. But also in that there's been a, an incredible opportunity where that's been the initial response or initial perception. But then um, that's where I'm actually thankful that my degree is unique. It's not um, specifically uh, around ministry or theology because we can start to speak the same language. And so that right. that barrier has fallen right. quite quickly with most when they know we're on the same page and moving towards the same things and wanting to work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. I guess my next question, you mentioned that kind of a gap that you realize in the church is that they weren't really participating in those outreach initiatives or making a mark in the city in that way when there's an apparent need. And that's a place that the church has been missing. Obviously, you're actively working to bridge that gap, but you're also an active churchgoer, an active Christian. So where along those lines, like, do you think it's important that the church also is spreading its message in the city? Is that something that's important to you? Is there a point where you're like, I need to make sure that I'm talking about the gospel or making that conversion, as you mentioned, or is that secondary to you? And yeah, what are your thoughts about that? 
Yeah, I definitely think that the message of the church is vital when it comes to uh, even poverty reduction, understanding that there's multiple forms of poverty. And I do think they go hand in hand. Uh, material poverty and mental and social and even spiritual poverty are very connected. And we do our best to respect people's faith and respect the boundaries that they put up, whether they're an organization or an individual. And so I would say the message of the church is primary for me. It is of utmost importance, but also it really does come down to the people that we're working with. And we want them to move forward in all aspects of life, whatever that looks like. And so even understanding what the message of the church is, that in reality, it is a message of hope and it's a message of purpose. And for me, it's really important because that's been uh, vital in my life. There's uh, the only reason that I'm not currently in a place of apathy and depression, which I once was, is because of the message of the church. And that's now allowed me to live with quite a consistent level of hope and what I think is effectively living my purpose uh, for being on earth. And when I interact with all the different diverse demographics that I get to interact with, uh, whether it's in Calgary housing, working with refugees or families in affordable housing, to working in prison, to the other end of the spectrum uh, with corporate partnerships and being involved in, yeah, with corporate professionals across the board, I see a deficiency of hope. It's kind of your perspective that you recognize a material need, maybe that's kind of the entry points right and then you partner with people and that kind of brings about this relationship that may or may not open a door to talk about the message of the church and bring hope right absolutely okay because i yeah i do believe that the message of the church is important but also i do think that we have a mandate and an ability to speak to brokenness in a unique way that does include the material and the economic all, and the mental all those pieces and they're very important even to the Jesus that I read about and the Jesus that I know, those pieces matter too. Right. As you mentioned earlier, there are sometimes negative responses to the church trying to intervene in these ways. And yeah, I'm just curious from your perspective, what do you think are the most common misconceptions about the church for people in our city and even like Canada wide? What do you think is the most common misconception when the church tries to do stuff like this? And is that based on something that's legitimate Are there ways that we can change what that looks like? But yeah, how do you address those? I think if you're talking most common, I would think that the most common misconception is that the church is uh, judgmental or, or full of hate or exclusive. Whereas in reality, like I've already said, the message of the church is the opposite. It's love, it's inclusion, it's it's very communal. So I think what the efforts that we're trying to do done right actually combat that already in and of themselves that if the church is living out its mandate as as i see in the bible and as i see through the life of jesus its mandate is to care its mandate is to be active agents of change and to do that with no strings attached not the strings of conversion or the strings of anything along those lines but to just to give back and to love with nothing attached to it. And so I think with that misconception is being broken by a church that's actively loving well and actively living beyond itself. And you personally, you mentioned that you didn't grow up here, that you've kind of moved around a lot. It seems like a lot of your cultural identity does come from the church and kind of that purpose that you mentioned before. Is that how you would primarily describe the culture that you've created for yourself? Is that you're here to, you know, love people and be involved and give back? Is that kind of what your ethos would be, would you say? Or how would you describe that to someone? Your personal culture, do you think a lot of it has to do with the church? 
Yeah, I definitely do. Especially, I wouldn't say, which even in comparison to some of the people you've interviewed along the way through the past couple of seasons, I don't identify with a province because I've lived in many. I identify as Canadian, absolutely. But then, like you're saying, yes, a lot of my culture is through that context and through that lens and Mm -hmm. through that perspective. My ethos, it really is from the church and from Mm. the church context. And in that, I think... Does that make you feel weird? Like, do you feel like, what if the church wasn't part of my life? Who would I be? Do you ever think that way or... No, not so much, especially seeing it on a global context, which mm-hmm. we won't get into right now. But just seeing the church on a global context and understanding humanity through the lens of the church as well, it's essentially led me to, I feel like my ethos really comes down to, we are meant to be here to leave the world better than we found it. And that's what I see the role of the church being. And so that really is what I think drives me and, and right. is the undertone of everything that I am about is that the Jesus that I read about, the Jesus that I know and understand came and left the earth better than he found it. Every interaction, he left a person better than he found it. And so for me and for, I hope, the community around me, I want that to be the culture that is above all else, mm. where it's not so much about how we identify, but who are we interacting with? And as we interact, are we leaving them better than we found it, or better than we found them? Right. And I think that's really what, what drives me and what drives, I think, the purpose and intent of, of the church is, is that we're here to leave things better. And it's a, yeah, restoration really is the underlying factor there. I hope that Kyle's perspective brought some new thoughts into your mind about what things can look like for the church body as a whole and how it chooses to make its mark in the world. It's interesting to me that the church itself has its own identity, which is separate from the individuals that are a part of it. And it often brings about differences in denominations amongst different Christian groups. My next interview dives into this concept on how and why the church takes on so many different expressions. So I'm excited to share next my chat with another churchgoer, Maddie McBlain, who comes from a similar but different church, known simply as Commons Church, There are two parishes, which is their word for locations, a little different than experienced church. One of them is in the quirky neighborhood of Kensington here in Calgary, and the other is in the historic Englewood. Commons is largely focused on the study of scripture or the biblical texts, but says their website, we worship Jesus. They claim to be a Reformation church, a part of the church universal, and an evangelical church. They have three core statements, being intellectually honest, spiritually passionate, and keeping Jesus at the center. Maddie McBlain comes in here, an intern at Kensington Commons and also a theology student at the faith-based Ambrose University here in Calgary. Maddie's perspective isn't completely aligned with her church, but she's okay with that. Her faith is a major identifier for her in many ways, and she has created her own culture and sense of purpose that sets her apart beyond her background and culture by using the church as a conduit. Here's what she had to share. Well, Maddie's here with us today, and I asked her to be on the show as part of this church episode. She currently works at a church here in Calgary, and you're not from Calgary, though. You're from BC. That's right. Yeah. So, I moved to Calgary three years ago just for the purpose of going to school, basically. I study at Ambrose University. Awesome. I'm studying theology there. So, yeah, that's kind of why I moved. But yeah, I'm from BC originally. Super small town. 
Awesome. So we, this is a real theology student. That's this right. It's qualified. Yes. <laughs> to talk about God. <laughs> Not really, but I'm trying. Yeah. So why don't you just give us a little bit of a background about yourself and how you ended up at the position you're in at the mm-hmm. church you're at. And yeah, just tell us a little bit about what the church is for people who might not have any context. Totally. Yeah. yeah awesome. So yeah, I came from BC and I was attending church there. My parents didn't grow up in the church, but they did start going to church when I was um, a pretty young kid. So I grew up kind of in that environment. I had a really great experience in the church growing up. And then when I moved to Calgary, I kind of just did some shopping around for churches. I tried out a few. I eventually, near the end of my first year, visited Commons Church for the first time, and I immediately felt like I had kind of found a spiritual home there. And so I stuck around, and I've been there for the past two and a half years, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been really good. I've um, had a few different kind of roles there. I, In my first year, my second year, actually, of university, I had to do a practicum. It was just like a volunteer basis. And so I kind of cold called the pastor of the church just to ask if he would be willing to let me work for free. And surprise, they were willing to do that. And so (laughs) I just did a lot of, I guess, yeah, volunteer work for them over that first year. And then the following summer, I was hired on staff in like a home groups pastor position. And then this is my third year of university now or my fourth. And so I have to do an internship. And um, that's why I'm working at Commons now, kind of as an intern. Awesome. Yeah. You said you grew up in a small town in BC and your parents weren't like, they didn't grow up themselves going Mm -hmm. to church. And so how is religion perceived in that area of BC? And do you think your parents kind of ran into any trouble when they decided to start going to church or what, how would that be perceived in the town you're from? That's a really good question. I think people see BC as being a little bit more liberal than Alberta. Okay. And I think that's true if you look at kind of the province at large. But I live, uh, Creston, the town I'm from, is about five minutes from the Idaho border, and it's only a couple hours from Alberta. And so it's actually more conservative than you'd expect. There aren't crazy numbers of churches or anything, but I don't really think there's a a sense that going to church is looked down upon, nothing like that. It's actually, yeah, most of my friends from Creston were churchgoers. And so, yeah, it's just kind of a normal part of life, I think. Cool, yeah. It's kind of that rural, small town vibe. Yeah, totally. I was just going to say. very much exists, which is nice. Yeah. It's very wholesome. Kind of homey. Yeah. And do you think church for people in small towns like that, do you think it's more of a community aspect? Like everyone kind of comes together. There's like the potluck after church. It helps Mm -hmm. build society in a town like that. Do you think that's a big part of it? Or do you think that, like obviously for your parents, it was a conscious decision to start Mm -hmm. going to church. So what is that? What do you think the draw is? Was that more of a joining the community or did they have a real spiritual experience that led them there? And Mm -hmm. yeah, what was that like for you to witness as their child? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I was only two or three at the time, so I don't remember it super clearly. But I do know that just one of their friends invited them to church one day. And this was a friend. I think my mom played soccer with her. And so they decided to go because she really liked and trusted this friend. And they really did meet their closest friends there. And so I think for them, they had just kind of recently moved to this small town. They had a little baby. And so they were kind of looking for that uh, connection with other people. And I think there was definitely a spiritual aspect too, that they were kind of looking for a way to find a a bigger meaning to what was all going on in their Mm -hmm. lives. But I think more than anything, church kind of acted as a social glue for them and uh, enabled them to kind of root down in Creston, this community they've been in for 21 years now. And so, yeah, while I think there was most likely a spiritual draw as well, I think more than anything, what got them to church was absolutely their friends. Right. Yeah. 
now as common stands as a church, can you kind of like briefly outline like what are the basic beliefs Mm -hmm. and is that something that aligns with the same faith that your parents had or has that deviated a little bit for you? Totally. Yeah. Something that's interesting is that commons being part of the evangelical covenant denomination is the same denomination as my home church in Creston. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And so it's interesting because they exist under the same denominational umbrella, but there are a lot of differences. Walking into my church at home feels a lot different than walking into commons. And I absolutely love them both. I'm very attached to both communities. I have friends in both communities. Both feel like home to me, but they are very different. And that's largely because the evangelical covenant denomination does value diversity under their umbrella. And so churches can, for the most part, govern themselves freely under Mm -hmm. that. But in reality, uh, commons believes basically the same thing that any professing Christian church would believe. So in terms of how we articulate our statement of faith, we profess the historic Christian creeds. So we often will read the Apostles' Creed, for example, aloud on a Sunday morning. Professing uh, something like the Apostles' Creed basically allows us to remind ourselves that we're united with a historical Christian tradition, that we don't just exist in the 21st century, we don't just exist in the last hundred years, Mm -hmm. but over the past thousands of years, Christians have said and believed certain things. So that's a large way of how commons articulates their faith, what they believe. In terms of how commons kind of exists and what the what the vibe is, I guess you could say. Yeah. Commons has three values that they kind of they strive to adhere to, I guess. And those are to be intellectually honest, to be spiritually passionate, and to have Jesus at the center. So if I had to describe the community in you know a handful of ways, I'd probably use that kind of language. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And it sounds like, I guess, for people who don't have any background with Christianity or the church, what is your take on why there are so many denominations? If there's something like the Apostles' Creed that you can just kind of state and that unifies you with Christians in history, why have the differentiation between different church churches and sects and that kind of thing? Yeah, totally. I think that's a great question. I think more than anything, it just comes down to our human nature and the fact that for some reason or another, we have this longing to separate ourselves from one another, that we want to know what we think about everything, and then we want to know that what we think is somehow better or more right than what other people think. And so I think that's inevitable. It doesn't make you a bad person for disagreeing with someone from you know, a different denomination or even a different religion. But I think it just speaks to the fact that as humans, we do really have a longing to know the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think in that, that's such a, a positive desire, but we can fall into the trap of thinking that's the most important thing, mm-hmm. I guess. The church has become more than just a community that exists in ancient Israel thousands of years ago. Right. It's global now, so there's going to be differences there. It's multi-generational now, so there's going to be differences there. And there are endless differences in personality, in the ways we view God and talk about God, in the ways we view the world and talk about the world. So I think it's really inevitable. I think it's not really a surprise to anyone. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing is kind of up for debate, I think. Yeah. I think we would all love to be unified and believe exactly the same things. Right. But I think that's why I find something like the Apostles' Creed encouraging, because mm-hmm. it reminds us that at our core, we do actually believe a lot of the same things. Right. It's cool that the church can become something that is both unifying and also representative Mm -hmm. of the diversity that the world is seeing now anyway, in terms of how we're all connected, it kind of makes Christianity no longer an exclusive thing in a way that Mm -hmm. there are denominations, if you look at it that way, because there's an allowance for everyone to express that faith Mm -hmm. through however avenue that looks like to them. So Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about it. I mean, if there was never any disagreement or conflict within the 
Christian church, mm-hmm. a lot of things would be different. I certainly wouldn't be allowed to be trained to be a pastor, for example. Right. A lot of people would have been excluded. So you're right. The The fact that there was conflict and that there was discussion about a lot of these controversial issues has made room for people. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, there's so much beauty in that, that yeah. Christians have chose to expand their vision for God and for the world in order to make room for people who have previously been excluded. Right. And talking about commons denomination specifically, you said it's called evangelical covenant. Mm-hmm. And I guess for a lot of people, I think the word evangelical can kind of be a bad word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's, you know, images of turn or burn or like people trying to mm-hmm. convert people. So for you personally, I don't even necessarily want you to answer this from the lens of commons, mm-hmm. but for you personally, do you think where you're placed in Calgary in a church like commons, is it important for you as a quote-unquote evangelical Christian, Mm -hmm. to spread the message of Christianity in your city and in your influence, and why is that important to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, and something I've actually thought a lot about over the last few years, because it's something I think you kind of assume the answer is yes, but I want to be thoughtful about things like that, because at the end of the day, it is real people's lives that we would be affecting. Mm -hmm. But I will say yes, because I do believe that people need to hear that they are loved more than they ever could have imagined. And I believe that people need to hear a message of ridiculous grace. And I need I believe people need to hear that there is room for them in the eyes of God and the heart of God. Do I think people need to hear that in order to turn their life around or in order to, I don't know, avoid eternal torment, they have to pray this very specific prayer I ask them to pray in church one Sunday morning? No, I don't, not at all. So it really depends on what message you're talking about, I guess, what message of the church. Now, we're talking about the Christian church. And so I think no matter what, I don't know, church you attend, denomination you attend, what method of evangelism you subscribe to, we can agree that the message we are trying to spread is the message of Christ. And something when I get discouraged about how I can show that message or share that message, I try to just really take a look at what Jesus professed his own message to be. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus goes into the temple and he pulls out this scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, which is this really complex um, prophetic work. And he reads a passage from it. I'll read it for you right now. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the weird thing is, is that message is actually rarely a part of what you hear when you walk into a church on a Mm, Sunday morning. Right. The message of Christ, I think, has often been shrouded by kind of just like a series of over-spiritualized motivational quotes. Right. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But I think if we're talking about spreading the message of Christ, quote unquote, that we need to remember that the sermons Jesus preached and the messages he wanted to spread to the people in his community, at least, were very practical, very visceral. Right. I think about just you mentioning my city. It makes me kind of emotional, honestly. Like in, I was reading just, I don't know, a government study, which sounds boring, but as of 2018, there's almost 3,000 people in Calgary experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And if you think about something like domestic abuse, every five days in Canada, a woman will be killed by her partner or her f- former wow. romantic partner. And so... Do I think that people need to hear a message of love and nonviolence and peace and redemption? Absolutely, more than Mm. anything. 
And I, I want us to remember that, that that is the message they need to hear, something that affects their real lives today. Right. And I think sometimes we think there's something non-spiritual about that, that's separate from the work that God does in people's lives. But as the church being the hands and feet of Christ, I think those are exactly the kind of problems and the kind of darkness that we're called to address. Right. And so I think in a nutshell, I think that is what spreading you know, the message of the church would, would look like. Do you think, like, in terms of you personally, it sounds like it is, but how much of being a churchgoer is a part of your identity and then contrasted to that, how much of being a Christian is part of your identity and how does that form your mission and what you're doing? And I mm-hmm. guess you decided to go to school for theology, mm-hmm. you're yeah. doing this internship. So why do you think it is that this has become such a big part of who you are and how do you differentiate a churchgoer to a Christian? Right, right. It's kind of interesting for me because I not only am a Christian and care very deeply about that, about my faith, about what I believe, but I've also decided to make a career out of it, which sounds very weird. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's almost uncomfortable to say that I want to work in a church right. because that connotates making money right. off of this thing I care so deeply about. And so I often struggle with that. What I'll say is not all Christians attend church, obviously, not all churchgoers are Christians. And I don't really think there's a clear-cut way to differentiate that. I think everyone is, this sounds very cliche, but on a journey with Christ. And I don't actually believe it's a, a, a line in the sand that you have to step over. I believe that people come to church for a variety of reasons. People come to church because they've believed and trusted in Jesus their whole lives. People come to church because they don't really know what it's all about, but they're curious. People come to church just to be with other people who they feel like care about them. So I don't know if there's a huge difference there. For me personally, being a Christian just means that I follow in the ways of Christ. And so my hope and my aim is that that would be reflected in all areas of my life. Right. I don't think that's always the case. There are so many things that it's hard to let let Christ's message touch. Things like my material possessions, the way I spend my money, the way I treat people I strongly disagree with. There are so many ways that that mm-hmm. gets hindered and gets stopped. But at the end of the day, I think that's what being a Christian really means is is attempting at least to walk in the ways of this person who showed unconditional love and abundant grace and and to follow in that as best as we can. Do you think it's the best solution for someone who's asking themselves those questions to discover a church? Like, would you hope that that is the direction that people go when they start to ask those questions in life? I would hope that, yes, because I think those are questions that it's impossible to process on your own, or you can attempt to, but you'll kind of go crazy. Now, I don't think the church has always, or even does always respond to those questions well. Mm -hmm. I know so so many people who've heard answers to questions like, well, why does suffering exist? They're just unsatisfactory. And so if Christians are, aren't willing to engage those, those questions and those problems and those contradictions within our faith, then the church isn't going to be the right place for those people to end up. Right. That's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I do hope that those people would, would end up in a community that can engage those questions with them. Because I think when the church is functioning as it should be and engaging those questions and I mean, not to bring it back to comments, but being intellectually honest, I think that that can be a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, great. A lot of how the public perceives the church is thanks to kind of what we see from America and the church there and the harm it's doing and the people it's hurting and the failures that they're experiencing. And obviously, that's not all across the board, but 
I think a lot of people view, especially the evangelical church, as a source of corruption and manipulation and sexism and racism and all these aspects that really don't align with Christ. And I wonder in Canada, at least from your experience, how do you think we differentiate from the church in America? And how do you, what do you think draws people here to church as opposed to a country like America that's experiencing, I guess, a lot of scandal mm-hmm, within mm-hmm. the yeah, within the organizations? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, first of all, that church in America is much more of a cultural phenomenon that way more people go to church, a way higher percentage of the population attends church. I would say most people in the United States would identify, self-identify as Christians, but that that identification or the fact that they go to church is generally less tied to their spiritual um, state, I guess. Right. So that it's much more... I think the easy way, easiest way to describe it is that Canada is just simply much more secularized than the States is. Okay, yeah. And so when people go to church in Canada, it's more often because they believe the things they're hearing on a Sunday morning, that they believe the words they're singing, and that it's a genuine part of their lives. Mm-hmm. No, I'm definitely not saying that's not true in the States. It absolutely is. I think there are also just more Christians in the States. But I think there is definitely also more of a, a cultural piece of going to church. It's just more of a, a cultural phenomenon right. almost. But at the end of the day, like I think Evangelicals in America and churches who have fallen into ideals such as nationalism really are just looking for to reinforce a perspective that sets Christians against the rest of the world. And they choose to do that through something like nationalism or perhaps something like racism. Okay, yeah. I don't think that's unique to the States. I think all of us, Christian or not, do have that tendency to separate ourselves from other people, to know who is in with you and who is out, who is against you. And so I think that manifests itself in Christian churches in Canada as well. It may not look like flying a flag at the front of the church. It may not not look like racism or sexism, although it may, but it may simply look like ideology that kind of presents Christians as as the good ones, Christians as the ones who are in, in God's eyes or in some secret club that's going to heaven and other people's out. And I think one could argue that that causes less harm than something like racism. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I think at the end of the day, it kind of is based on the same foundational belief that in order to survive, in order to be saved, maybe if you're a Christian, that you have to separate yourself from someone else. And so... In churches in America, that might look like nationalism. In Canada, it might just simply look like that same in-out group ideal. And do you feel like your faith has kind of superseded other identifiers that could take its place in theory? So maybe, you know, your your ethnic Mm -hmm. background or, you know, your gender or Mm -hmm. anything like that or any other job position you might have. Is there, do you think the church has kind of superseded those things for you? Or what do you think is your strongest identifier if you were to... That's a super interesting question. For me, I would probably say that it is that I follow Jesus so that it would be not the church necessarily, but Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's funny you mentioned that because I do think the church has often attempted to use this identifier of Christian to cover other identifiers up, not in themselves, but in other people. Interesting. I've heard um, a lot of, you know, arguments against feminist movements within the church say things like, well, you shouldn't worry about whether you're a man or a woman and what that means. You should just worry about being a child of God. Right. And while that is true, that being loved by God is the most important thing, that argument's often used to cover up injustices that are done. 
Same with a common response within the church, the Black Lives Matter movement is, well, it shouldn't matter if you're black or white because we're all the same in the eyes of God. So don't worry about that kind of thing. Right. But that's really disingenuous because it's ignoring the fact that we live in a world where people who are in different racial groups do experience different treatments. Mm-hmm. So while for me personally, as a white woman, I do think being a Christian is the most important identifier in my life. But I would never, I guess I don't think it's wise to tell other people that they should kind of tote that as the identifier above all else when mm. they're experiencing harm or suffering or pain because of other identifiers right, in their not life. using it as a justification almost. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Cool, that's great. I'm curious because it sounds like you mentioned a couple interesting things. You said you don't necessarily identify as an evangelical Christian even though you go to an evangelical church. You also mentioned that for you, you see there's more of a benefit to society through the church in doing practical things as Jesus outlined in Luke. Mm-hmm. And so those kind of statements, I'm curious if would, I'm curious how you personally would explain your faith to a skeptic and if that's something that you feel is a necessary element to carry out your duty as a Christian, Mm -hmm. or is that not really something you focus on and you try to focus on those practical elements? Like Mm -hmm. how do you express your faith to people that might be judging you for it in another way? Yes, I know I have been speaking very practically, but I do love talking about my faith, about what I believe. And I am happy to talk about that with anyone, I think. So if I had to describe it, I guess in a sentence or two, I really got to condense some things, I guess. (laughs) I guess I would say I follow Jesus and I try to walk in the ways of Christ. And I believe that God is working and will work to make all things new. And that's how I would describe my faith in a nutshell. That's how I would describe my faith to someone who's a fellow Christian. And it's also how I describe my faith to a skeptic. So I guess I kind of a pushback to that is, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great explanation, but what if someone was asking you why? Like, why are you a follower of Christ? No, for sure. I think in terms of someone who say is an atheist and Mm -hmm. has no reason to believe in God, it's very abstract. It's very strange. Personally, I actually don't feel the need to try and justify my faith using logic or science or kind of a lot of the other frameworks that apologetics kind of has attempted to use. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there's very valuable discussion that comes from conversations around science and faith, for example. I think that's great. But I'm very aware that the things I believe are kind of ridiculous. Like I believe that God, this unmovable force of good, like love itself is behind all things. Right. And I can say that to an atheist and that sounds crazy. Right. And I'm not going to backtrack and say, well, it's actually because this and this and use all of these logical arguments because, first of all, it's not how I'm trained. And second of all, that's not why I believe what yeah, I believe. I don't believe right. because it makes logical sense. Right. I don't believe because I think science proves it. I believe the things I believe because I've seen the goodness of God in my life and in the lives of others. I believe that in amidst all of the chaos that surrounds us right now and all of the hurt, that God is making things new. And when I explain that to a skeptic, that's going to be very unsatisfactory. (laughs) Yeah. It's not going to convince them. Right. Do I believe that I should be open about my faith and explain why I believe what I believe and what I believe to people who aren't Christians? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I actually don't feel any pressure to convince them, I guess. Yeah. Because I wasn't convinced. Right. I just experienced the love of God. Right. And if I'm being honest, I think from the people I've talked to who are atheists, that's been very well received because they know I'm not going to argue with them about logical fallacies and evolution and all these things. Mm -hmm. And they actually respect the fact that I just 
have a spiritual awareness of God's presence and God's love, and that that's why I believe what I believe. After exploring the identities and heart behind Kyle and Maddie, members of the Christian Church here in Alberta, I want to bring the conversation around to my final guest, David Clark, who offers a very different perspective. David is in so many ways the image of a typical Albertan, but he challenges culture on multiple fronts. Yes, he loves his pickup and he loves hunting, but he also went to school for fashion design. Yes, he plays classical violin, but he also served in the army deployed in Afghanistan. Similarly with his faith, David believes in God, but rejects the church. His story is one that I think is important for the church to hear and describes how unlike Maddie and Kyle, identity can be a lot more complex, even though all of these people would profess a belief in God and are currently Albertan. Here's the contrasting opinion and a fascinating story from my friend, David. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, whatever that means to you, and maybe tell us about how your upbringing was shaped by the church. Well, I'm Alberta boy, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's you could true. say. I do like the pickup trucks and shooting yep. out in wipers and that kind of lifestyle. I yep. like off-roading. It's a great way to explore our province. So, I mean, yeah, I grew up out here or outside of the city out by Bright Creek. So I'm not really like a farm kid per se, but I didn't grow up playing like PlayStation and stuff like that. Right. I was out in the trees. Right. It's a little bit more rural upbringing for me. And I, yeah, just I kind of perpetuate that now and just what I do with my free time kind of also juxtaposed with my pursuits of the fashion world as well. So I'm quite, I don't know, I've got my fingers in many pies, really. So can't fit you into a box. You're not just a no. Alberta boy. You're also a fashion boy. <laughs> <laughs> which is, yeah, which is not synonymous with Alberta, but oh well, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I just exist in different worlds in here. And do you feel like that's easy to navigate all those different worlds? Like, do you feel like you still have a consistent identity despite the fact that you have your finger in I think all those so. pies? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just uh, can just happen to be multifaceted and can just pull from different parts of who I am to fit into these different worlds. And has it always been like that for you? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I'd say it's just a, just a fact of who I am with my personality. Very cool. And it's nothing, I don't know what to brag about, but yeah, it's useful. It's convenient, I guess. It's always me consistently. I just pull from different pieces of it. That's awesome. So what was the other part of the question? The other part of the question is, <laughs> tell us about how your upbringing was shaped by the church, or I guess, yeah, even how your identity has been shaped by the church in the past. My whole life I've gone to church ever since I was a kid. I mean, my parents found Christ before they got married. Uh, they met at church. Actually. Okay, wow. my, my dad wasn't Christian or didn't have any relation to the church whatsoever. My mom had somehow found her way into the church. Okay. And my dad's friend knew my mom and brought my dad to the church. And and are they from Calgary, your parents? Or? My dad's from Calgary. My mom's from Edmonton. Oh, nice. So, wow. Yeah, just Alberta, born and raised. Yeah, second generation Albertan, <laughs> I guess. I <laughs> nice. don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I spent my childhood in churches of different types, uh, denominations, I guess you could call them. Foremost being, it was called Vineyard denomination. So it's not like, I don't know. It was just, it was less focused on kind of the, uh, the religion part of it. It was more just like trying to focus on, on God, <laughs> which I guess a lot of churches do, but everyone does it in different ways. Um, so it was very, it's very free and just was really casual and really welcoming. So, I mean, it was held, I mean, I don't think I've ever gone to a church in a church. Oh wow. Every church I've gone to has been in a separate building. So, I mean, I probably, 
a lot of my time. That church was held in Dr. E.P. Scarlett wow. School in the gymnasium. So I spent a lot of my childhood in that, even though I didn't go to school there, going to church on Sundays. Interesting. Dr. E.P. Scarlett. And I mean, you church where I spent a lot of time was at the University of Calgary. So yeah, a lot of my church has not been spent in church, which I think has a large part to play in kind of where I'm at in my journey, I guess, in my faith and myself, I guess. Because if this is called anti-culture, I guess I would be class myself as more anti-religion. Nice. And I think that has a large part to play because it was never, the churches I've been part of have never focused on the rules so much, per se. But I mean, growing up as a kid in the church was always very interesting. It was very welcoming. I mean, I've got a lot of good to say about the church. It's very welcoming, very like friendly, uh, just really genuinely kind people, genuinely like, I don't know, genuine believers. I don't know how you like classify that type of person. You know, you meet those sure, people that yeah. you just respect hugely because of just how they live their life. And you right. just look at these people like elders in the church and you just, I don't know, I would find myself saying like, oh man, I'd love to be like that person. Right. Like and you know I'm they're six, integral, like they mean what they... Yeah. They're not just acting like a Christian on Sundays, yeah. like the rest of their, the rest of the week, they're living who they are. It's right. the same person on Sunday as it is on Tuesday. Yeah. I just I find a, there's a lot of pressure to be a certain way, to live a certain way in order to be a Christian. And I found that that for me has been super difficult. Like that's probably the number one reason why I'm not really living that life at the moment is just because I can't. I just feel like I'll never achieve that. I'll never be like the good Christian guy. (laughs) Right, right. So, and I think, yeah, growing up in the church, probably a lot of people can relate to that kind of that pressure to be a certain way. Was there a specific point where you decided like, this is not something that I can live up to? And is there, yeah, I guess, was there like a point of no return where you're like, okay, this is actually not something that I can subscribe (laughs) to? Like, did what, was there something specific that led you to that? Or was it like a culmination of events? I would say culmination. Okay. There's definitely a, I don't know, a couple times where (laughs) I couldn't, I don't know, achieve what I wanted to (laughs) in terms of being a good Christian. Again, I mean, I joined the army. High school, junior high, high school, I really tried hard to be the good Christian kid, whatever that means. Why do you think you did that then? Why was that important to you? Because I really wanted it. Okay. Because I want to, I want to, I still want to be one day a type of person that other people can look to and be like, wow, that person is like on integrity and, and I respect them and they, they can be like a a mentoring figure in somebody's life. Because I think we all have a person that you can kind of look to and say, like, I want to be like them. And I would love to be that one day. I just don't think I'm that type of person now. (laughs) So Right. And you associate kind of that ideal with being Christian in some ways because of what you saw growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. So, kind of walk me through it again. So, junior high, high school, you were trying to... Junior high, high school, I I was really, yeah, trying to just be a, I don't know, be a good good Christian kid, whatever yeah. that means. I don't even know how you measure that. I don't know, like not swearing or or not not partying or drinking or like drug, sex and rock and roll. I was just like, no, very anti that. Uh, it helped that I lived where I did because there was, I mean, unless you had a car, there, you couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> There's just, nothing to do. You were stuck. Yeah. There's nothing. So. Stuck trying to be a good kid. Yeah. Just me, all and, day. me and the trees. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, in the city, people are going to parties at like 14 or 15 and at 14 or 15, I hadn't done, hadn't even touched or looked at that world and didn't want to, but I didn't know what I was missing, I guess, at the same time or kind of what that that side of society can be like or growing up in that style of or that lifestyle, I suppose. So yeah, junior high, high school, I really tried. 
I guess by whatever this arbitrary measurement system is, I, I did all right. I was a good, good kid. Nice. <laughs> like, yeah. Congrats. Never, yeah. Never in jail. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was not in what I, in my mind, like a bad kid. And then I joined the army and things definitely changed then. So I graduated high school and then went to basic training. And yeah, kind of, that's where it all, that's where it all began to unfold. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Unravel. Not really. It's just a vastly, humongously different lifestyle. The army is not full of coddling kind people. It's full of hard people <laughs> that live a hard lifestyle. Um, so you just kind of get used to that. You get welcomed into that. I mean, there's like, uh, there's a lot of drinking in the military. There's a lot of, yeah, just not, uh, not the lifestyle that lines up with uh, what you want if you're trying to be a good Christian kid. And yet I still tried because um, it was important to me. It was kind of like part of my values of who I was, was to be a certain way. But when you're in a lifestyle, you start to adapt to it, I suppose, I guess you could call it. So, you know, slowly over time, I got changed <laughs> to be more of the army type. And then, I mean, from from basic training and all that, I then worked road construction part-time, right. which is, again, another wonderful industry full of <laughs> soft, warm, cuddly people. <laughs> it's not. It's really full of the opposite of that. Very hard people that are working on the rigs in the wintertime. And then there are construction workers forming in the summertime. So it's just, a again, a very rough industry, not very conducive to being a good pure Christian kid. Right, right. <laughs> so I just feel like I've ended up in a lot of places that just are not helpful in living that lifestyle. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, I guess it's in the world. I suppose you could- As a Christian would as say. As a Christian would say, it's, yeah, it's living, oh, you're out in the world, like make disciples of them. <laughs> no, it's not possible <laughs> because like to to stay so stoically- I don't know, just to stick to your guns of maybe what matters to you is really difficult in like those two industries. Then I went to Afghanistan. So I was like 100% just living the army lifestyle. And I had to get way harder, I suppose, not like rah, rah, tough, but I had to change my entire demeanor in order to do my job. I couldn't be so, uh, so emotionally open, I guess, to mm -hmm. caring about stuff as much. Um, like to act a certain way. I had to, I had to be able to perform my job if I needed to. So I think that was a contributing factor as well. Yeah. And I think just to pause there, I think it's so interesting because I feel like that experience did become such an identity shaping thing for you. Like that's a big part of your identity is that you, yep. you served in <laughs> Afghanistan because it really shaped who you are. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you were to tell that to David in high school or David in junior high, that's a completely different David. And so it's interesting because it's almost like there's this, you had to conform in some ways, but it did become who you are in yes. a lot of ways as well. And it's it's weird because we don't look at something like that as as extreme as something like assimilation. We look at it as like you're adapting to what you need to adapt to. And I guess that is a form of assimilation, but it's just, it's a unique perspective because you are a white Christian male <laughs> from Alberta and you still had to conform yep. to a certain identity that challenged who you were previously yeah. and now is a lot of who you are. And especially, I mean, between being a kid and um, not that going to church was forced upon me, I willingly went and participated. But when you become an adult and you're kind of figuring out that classic figuring out who you are <laughs> out in the world, you know, you're graduated high school, now you figure out who you are. And now that I'm getting older and wiser, 
I'm beginning to realize that, yeah, for sure, that is hugely important people important in people's lives is that time period like right after high school because now you're free in the world and yeah. you get to choose your own way, whether yeah. you're sticking to what used to what used to matter to you or maybe that's changed. From my perspective, built from multiple experiences yeah, in my life that yeah. were all quite, all vastly different from each other uh, and therefore very formative in their own ways. I feel like I've done so much in my life. Yeah. Like I've, I feel like I'm forgetting stuff because I've just, I've got, I've had so many such distinctly defined seasons that I feel like I could die next week and be like, yeah, lived a good full yeah. life. Not even 30 yet. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. You've already lived like seven lifetimes. Yeah, that's what it yeah. feels like. So it's yeah. kind of hard to like find the common thread through all this, but organized. I don't know. Like I just have a, especially after England, uh, because again, England was another time for me in my early to mid twenties to again, for I guess the second or perhaps third time, find out who I truly am. And that was kind of a very, uh, in a terrifying way, an eye-opening experience. I learned a lot about myself that I was just kind of like, wow, I really got to tone that down. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I was across the world doing my own thing. Nobody knew who I, who I was. Mm -hmm. So you can fully explore who you are. And I think that is also very important for people to do. Uh, Go somewhere where nobody knows you. And then that's how you find out who you are and maybe who you want to be based on that. Um, So a large portion of my viewpoint comes after England as well, because I find that in comparison to Canada, particularly the conservative West, uh, England is very liberal, open, and I guess in terms of like social justice issues, a lot more advanced than, than we are. So I had to, like my eyes were opened really fast to certain elements of, I don't know, advanced culture. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Homosexuality. The one right. that nobody wants to talk about here. <laughs> the church. Nobody, nobody I knew goes to church. <laughs> like, it's just so, so different than here. Yeah. So a large part. Yeah. My viewpoint of Christianity or organized religion is that I don't like it. I always, I always have said, I'm not religious because people ask you that. Oh, are you religious? And my answer has always been, no, I'm not religious because I mean, like I said earlier, I don't, I never have gone to church in a church. So strike one for religion. Right, right. Like strike out for religion. I didn't go to a church. So what do you think it was for you when you were younger? Like how did you view it as a kid? Did you just think? View church? Yeah. And religion? Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. Was it just kind of like part of life? So you're like, this is. Sundays is what you do. There's also youth group on Fridays. Right. It was just part of your integrated. It was just what I did. I just think that's interesting because I would be, if I was in your shoes, I would feel like. I would be really challenged by those new environments and I wouldn't like them because they were so opposed to who I thought I was. Like it would make me feel uncomfortable. So what point does that become integration instead of, you know, coiling back and feeling like this isn't anything like me? I mean, when you spend as much time as I did, time is an incredible thing in multiple ways. One being that if you're a soft, sheltered, good Christian boy like me, you spend enough time in those industries and they will beat you around and toughen you up. And so you're kind of just as a result of the environment, you're going to change. You have to, or you don't survive. But that's again, also based on facets of my personality and who I am is I'm not, I'm not affected as much perhaps in comparison to other people by like bullying and stuff like that. It doesn't affect me as much. So I'm able to kind of roll with it. 
people tend to like me wherever I go. So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I haven't lived a life free of bullying, but I just haven't really, I don't know. It hasn't affected me as much as other people. So, I mean, a lot of people can't survive in those, those industries, um, partly because of people like me, (laughs) because when you're in those industries, you have to be tough. And when you've got the new kids or the new guys, you beat on, like you, you harass them relentlessly. Right. It's part of like the unspoken initiation is you right. have to be able to handle this. And so you, if you can't adapt, those people fall away and simply you don't see them again because they can't do it. Whereas somehow, somehow, I don't know how, based on my upbringing, I was able to handle that, those environments and thrive in them perhaps, like not ever feel so challenged. Like I thought of giving up or something in either one of those industries. So you have to, you just, I think at, at a certain point you're just forced to change. And so I mean, I could have gone into places way less intense. I didn't need to join the army. I didn't have to do road construction. I could have worked your typical retail job. Right. (laughs) Where it's not nearly as uh, intense or harmful (laughs) or challenging as as where I've been. But again, each of our stories is so vastly different. But I always put an asterisk when people ask if I'm religious. Right, right. No, but I have my faith and my beliefs. I mean, I have it tattooed on me. That's true. Because I so strongly believe, I know, like, I believe in God. I'm not ashamed to say that. I don't question that. I just don't like the religious culture. I find, I don't know, organized religion is very rules-based. And I don't think, like, in Christianity, I don't think it is rules-based. It's just that's what, as humans, we tend to focus on. You can't drink. You can't get drunk. God forbid you do the marijuana. (laughs) Oh, wait, it's legal now. So now what do we do? So just things like that are just, I find are just, for me, very frustrating. I find that uh, the church in general, not a specific church group, but the church in general, I find that the Christian, the Christians, (laughs) Christian people are very good at like calling you out on stuff. I find it, I don't know, I just find it very judgmental when it should be not judgmental. Because if you've read the Bible or any part of it, there's stories of Jesus being with certain people groups and like accepting them. But I find that in our normal or modern modern day version of that, it's the opposite. Or or you're or people go out of their way to show that they're hanging out with these other people and they're, oh, I'm going to volunteer at the mustard seed this week and we should be clapping them on the back. When no, that's just what you should do. Like not the mustard seed, but like, you know, just exist with people other than Christians and don't get recognition for it. That's why I don't like religion because it's so focused on like uh, if you have a girlfriend, uh, don't do anything with her. Pray about it. Don't hang out past 11 p.m. because, oh no, you might be sexually attracted to her. Crazy concept. <laughs> so I just like, it, there's just so much focus on like what not to do and what to do yeah. that I find that the actual core of what it should be is lost. And I've just like, after living in these industries, uh, military and like road construction and drinking in England and just like partying, I just feel like coming back and this is perhaps something I need to just work through with time, which is why I've kind of taken a step back, I guess, from this, from the Christian lifestyle is I just feel so, I I feel judged. I feel very judged by the church in general, by the choices I've made. There's been times where stories have been told of like what I did in England and you tell that to a secular person and they take it in stride and they're like, wow, that's a crazy story. But if you were to tell a Christian friend that same story, they would kind of... They're all of a sudden so concerned They're, they're for shocked you. and they're right. like, oh, we should pray for you. And it's like, or like, you shouldn't live like that. 
or what are you doing? Like you got drunk how many times? So I just, I found, I find it so backwards. Why is there more acceptance from secular people than Mm -hmm. there is from Christian people when it should be the other way around? But if Jesus was sitting in front of both those parties and me telling my story, which side would he be more on? He wouldn't be condemning me because I did that because those are the people he hung out with. Like, so I just, I just find everything, yeah. like a lot of things are so backwards and it's, I just, it's really frustrating. And uh, like being in England, cause that's kind of the most recent, I guess, formative experience just really changed that because I was so anti, not anti-church intentionally, just the lifestyle I lived there was <laughs> so far from it <laughs> that uh, it, you know, it bracketed my experiences and perspectives because I would say bracketing because like as a kid, I lived that Christian lifestyle and loved it. In England, I was in the army and road construction. I was like the opposite. So at some point I'm going to find myself in the middle or slowly bracket back in to where I belong. And I think that, again, that just takes time. So I still have my beliefs. Like I still like based on experiences in Afghanistan, I know there's a God <laughs> and I firmly believe that. I just don't want to participate in just the religious religious lifestyle right do you hold on to a hope still that there's like a community that will embrace you without judgment but still is a church or are you kind of like no all christians and organized religions suck i'm gonna do my own thing like how do you like do you feel like you desire that or is that just i do yeah i do desire i mean i've gone to church a few times and it's just like it feels good it's like oh imagine if i was good enough to belong here i want to be a good christian person like I would, I strive for that, but I just feel like it's not within me. Like, I feel like you look at those, those people that I've talked about that you respect, like it comes so naturally to them. And I'm sure behind closed doors, you know, everybody's a human. So it's, it's a challenge for everybody, but I just feel like I just don't even come close. Like I can't, I can't even pretend I can live that lifestyle. So that's a big part of it too, is just like who I am naturally by bracketing in my life experiences. I find that I'm you know, I just, I don't really line up with that Christian living lifestyle. Like I wouldn't want to mentor younger people who are also like I was when I was younger, striving for that. I don't feel like there's no way I could possibly be a role model for that person based on what I do outside of church. So that's the thing is like, I feel like I am obligated to put on my Christian mask and act a certain way with Christian people. And then after that, it's Monday and you're back to who you really are. And that's the problem is so like, I just don't feel like I fit because that's not, yeah. it's not within me to live that way. And so that's led me to, to question like, what does it even mean to, what does it mean to be a Christian then? Cause surely I'm not the only one that feels this way. Oh yeah, absolutely not. So how do those of us who, cause I mean, I know a bunch of people who this is genuinely them. Like they can, from my perspective, they can live the Christian lifestyle. That's how they live. That's, you know, on Monday, there's the same as on Sunday and Friday night. And I've, I love those people. I respect them and I, I want to be like that. It's just, I'm not. So where do those of us who on Monday are different than Sunday, how do we fit in? I feel like a lot of the stories that you're talking about have been experiences where people have an expectation on you first. Like if you're going to be in the church, then one day you're going to mentor people. Or if you're going to be in church, then you're not going to get drunk or have sex before marriage or whatever. And then in Afghanistan, it's like, if you're going to be emotional and talk about this stuff, then you're going to kicked out. People are not going to treat you well. You're not going to be able to do your job road construction if you're not a certain way it's going to be like this you know there's always that expectation following you but But i I fit so naturally into those expectations i feel right like those are me (laughs) like it's right it's it's an accurate expectation of me because i will live to it 
Interesting. So, so it's just kind of based on what do you think it's based on? Is it just kind of like how the standards are different? And then you're like, Ooh, I'm not going to be able to, this doesn't feel natural. So yeah. Okay. But cause like, how do I, again, like I wrestle with that. How, if I have my beliefs, but I don't have the lifestyle, then do I call myself Christian? Is being a Christian measured on your lifestyle or your beliefs? Yeah. I don't know. It's very valuable what you're saying because I think a lot of people in the church feel like they have to conform in order to be a part of it. But you're kind of challenging that and you're saying, listen, I still have my faith, but also I don't live that lifestyle. This is who I am. So I think that's so valuable because people need to have that freedom to be able to do that in other ways too. Like, I think there needs to be, I mean, I don't, if you're going to bring up a problem, you better have a solution. I don't know. My solution's impossible. It's like, how do you, how do you get an entire populace to shift their, their viewpoints? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's so ingrained in just North American culture. Like you have to label yourself. You have to fit into a certain box. And I think more and more people are realizing that that's not really how anything works. Mm -hmm. And I can empathize with a lot of the things you talked about. And I find it hard, like, let alone my cultural identity, I find it hard to express so many aspects of my identity. And I think that's part of the beauty of actually taking the time to get to know someone and talk to them and hear their experiences rather than, you know, I can choose to be And this isn't the case, but I can choose to be someone who knew you when you were growing up and went to church with you and then say, oh, he didn't, he dropped off. He's hopeless. Like he didn't, he probably got drunk in England. Like whatever (laughs) they're saying. I did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Confirmed everyone. (laughs) You know, or I could say, David, how was England? Was it hard for you? What experiences did you have? Like, yeah. And encourage you in exploring yourself. I think that's what's needed. It's a cultural shift. Hugely. And that's the problem is like, yeah, again, in comparison to England, that cultural shift here in conservative Alberta, I have no idea how on earth you instigate that. Like, how do you get that going? Because it is yeah. so cultural here. Well, and you're a Alberta boy through and through. So, yeah. I mean, you could start it. <laughs> so, I don't know how. Do you feel like you have kind of challenged people's perceptions of you being a Alberta boy first? Like, if that's how they met you and then they get to know you, do they feel like they're surprised about anything? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. When, when people find out I have a degree in fashion photography, <laughs> how the heck does that line up with shooting shotguns and drinking beer and off-roading? There you go. Not in that order because drunk driving is bad. Uh, but <laughs> so yeah. I feel like that's like a common thread in your life is there's always a caveat that makes you you when people try to yeah put you in something. Also because I mean it's been so long, it's almost been ten years since I got back from Afghanistan. Wow. I mean that's wow. Yeah, that's so crazy. I know. It's scary. I'm getting so old and so wise. So wise. This is going to change lives. (laughs) Yeah. What would you say to an individual, same age as you, went through similar experiences, but is still deciding to be a part of organized religion? What advice would you give them to actually be an accurate representation of what you hope to see in the church? Man, if I was giving somebody advice, I don't know. I think you just have to have your, have, it sounds so cliche, but have your faith, have your belief, because that's what's important. I still have that. Yeah. What's not important to me at all is religion. Like, I don't feel guilty sleeping in on Sundays now. I used to because, oh, I should be at church. And there, right there is the problem. Why do I have that guilt? Why do I have that hanging over me? Like I need to be performing certain things in order to be this. Because if I go out to the mountains, uh, I think this is probably pretty classic for a lot of people around here. I find God is far more in the mountains than in a church and me on a 30 degree summer day at one o'clock going for lunch. No, I'd rather, much rather be out in his creation. Like mountain biking or something that's like i feel it way more viscerally 
Like it's, it's it, that, that to me is way more real than going to a building and, and abiding by these rules. But that is, I think, what I need to challenge within myself because I just have such a, I know I have a negative view of it, but again, this is where I'm at and it's just going to take its time and slowly I will end up where I should be. All in all, I think what I take away from the stories of these three individuals is that there isn't one cookie cutter image of what it looks like to be a churchgoer in our society, which is honestly what I expected to find. And I'm happy I could illustrate it for you. Sometimes even when a church is a massive part of someone's personal identity, even they don't fully align with the institution as a whole. And I believe that that's the perfect illustration of how the boxes we're in operate a lot of the time. Yes, sometimes our categories or the things we associate with are a part of parcel of who we are, but we often long for a distinguisher. We want to be different. We want something more that explains who we are and what we're about. I think even for someone like David, who has felt judged and boxed in, he needed to take that to a whole other level that both Kyle and Maddie didn't necessarily face. And that's okay. Kyle's journey offers its own insight that sets him apart in unique ways as well and has positioned him in an identity that focused on the international community through the catalyst of being in a church. Were you surprised by these stories? Challenged by them? What did you think of my guests? I would like to hear all your feedback after this first episode. You can tweet me at Josiah Podcast or DM me on Instagram at the same handle. I'll actually open my message requests, so go for it. I can't wait to share the rest of this amazing season with you, and I so appreciate your support. If you'd like to be a patron for this project to get access to exclusive media and also help offset my production costs, you can find the link at josiahsynonin.com slash podcast. That's Josiah, J-O-S-I-A-H, synonym, S-I-N-A-N-A-N.com slash podcast. Anticulture's branding and marketing is provided by Arcade Studios, a digital forward creative agency specializing in content, social media marketing, and digital advertising. You can find them at arcadearcade.ca or at helloarcade on Instagram. I'm also super excited about this new season beyond being a part of the Alberta Podcast Network and having all this new support because you may have noticed on my Instagram that I'm recording most of the season at a We Edit Podcast studio here in Calgary. So big special thanks to my friends there who have podcast studios open in both Calgary and Saskatoon. And for my Calgary episodes, I recorded them all at their studio, which has been such a cool experience and has made the show feel that much more legit. I'll see you next week to explore more cultural anomalies and look forward to chatting again. Thanks for tuning in to episode one of Anticulture. Culture.